The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We want to mention our sponsor today on Smart Companies Radio, Kelly Warner Law. To learn more about Kelly Warner's internet defamation and trade libel legal practice for entrepreneurs and professionals, head on over to kellywarnerlaw.com forward slash infographic. That's K-E-L-L-Y-W-A-R-N-E-R. LAW.com forward slash infographic. You can also click on the logo on the IThinkBigger.com website. Today we welcome Kyle Konoposik. He's a manager in the Business and Technology Risk Services Group at CBiz MHM LLC in Kansas City, Missouri. He's been with the firm since 2001, and he assists his clients in preparing risk assessments, audit plans, and product deliverables. He serves a variety of clients within multiple industries, including financial institutions, payroll processing, and manufacturing. Today, he's here to talk with us about cybersecurity. Welcome to the show today. Thanks, Kelly. I really appreciate you having us on. You know, CBiz is a larger firm, obviously. Small businesses sometimes either think that they're so small that they're not on anybody's radar. How could I be susceptible to anything related to you know a cyber attack? Or conversely, even if the thought crosses their mind, they're so focused on so many other things that it really doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And so uh, talk to us a little bit about information security and security awareness, particularly from a small business standpoint? Sure. So it's really important to also distinguish, too, that there's <clears throat> there's a certainly a big tie-in with information security and cybersecurity, mm-hmm. but a really big aspect that is not considered when we hear about all these cybersecurity attacks with the Home Depots, the Targets, uh, more recently the Blue Cross Anthem breach, is the social engineering aspect of that. Mm-hmm. So certainly cybersecurity and cyber attacks, that's the big media push. That's right. what we hear about. Mm-hmm. So the information security aspect of that is making sure that we're, we are thoroughly protecting all types of information, whether it's digital or still in paper format. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the social engineering attacks are forgotten a lot of times. Well, let's back up just a little bit. When you say social engineering, that sort of sounds like a sociology experiment to me. (laughs) So, but what what is the definition briefly, you know, a high-level definition of social engineering? So social engineering is, uh, first of all, Hollywood loves it. (laughs) If if you want a technical (laughs) definition of it, the the clever manipulation of uh, trying to manipulate the human natural tendency to trust one another. Sure. Which, mm-hmm. if you really think about that, it's pretty frightening. Um, you know, the key word in there, manipulate, is kind of terrifying if you think about how we're manipulating one another to trust one another and to trick one another into trusting one another. Mm. So that's where the social engineering plays into cyber attacks that we don't hear about. 
so 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 often you know uh, the cybersecurity is it's all technical types of attacks you know um, trying to hack into someone's network a lot of times that doesn't just happen they have to have other types of information in order to execute that cyber attack okay. and they obtain that information through social engineering so for example um Maybe I want to have, uh, I need a, a list of email addresses. So something as simple as this one type of social engineering, social engineering attack, dumpster diving. Mm-hmm. It sounds goofy, but it's very easy for me to go out in someone's dumpster in their parking lot in the middle of the night and rummage through the trash. And Kelly, you would be amazed at the kinds of things that we have found when we do testing of this nature. But something as simple as someone throwing away a company phone list or an mm-hmm. email listing is mm-hmm. all that someone needs to find out you know, what are domain names? And they can do an email phishing attack and get a little bit more information and build upon that so that maybe the grand attack is cyber, a cyber attack. Sure. So once they have the emails, the company emails, it can come from what appears to be somebody within the company to others in the company to get even more information, and then they use it to penetrate vulnerable systems? Absolutely. Yeah. So a really interesting um from a testing perspective anyway, a very interesting uh, email phishing attack that we have used for our client base is uh, to set up a false website that looks like it's a, a human resources portal. Mm-hmm. And then we send out an email fish to certain employees in the organization and say, hey, everybody, we've got a new HR portal. Uh, there's also a new vacation policy. We need you to go <laughs> log on and make sure your vacation time and your accruals are okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the hook there is that it has a personal impact on those yes. employees. So they're going to be motivated to go ahead and click that link in that email, go to that false website. They don't take the time to look to see that the website or the, sorry, that the link is actually pointing to a false website address. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really quite simple if you think about it. Uh, so once that happens, if an employee clicks that link, um, it goes to our website, it could very easily install malware Mm -hmm. then that malware is on the on the network then that's when a cyber attack can commence okay and these fake websites are very convincing i mean the way that they can replicate the look and feel of a banking institution's website or as you say an hr department it's uh pretty convincing some of the ones that i've seen even well in addition to uh the kind of social engineering attack that you just described, what are some of the other ones that are fairly commonplace? So uh, another type of social engineering attack that, and I mentioned Hollywood loves social engineering. Yes. If you think to uh, movies such as Sneakers back in the early 90s with Robert Redford or even more recently uh, Catch Me If You Can with mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio, those are all great examples of social engineering all throughout the, mov- the movies. Uh, you, we still see it today. But the types of attacks that they're demonstrating in those films are what we call pretexting in the industry. And pretexting is essentially where uh, I would create a, a false, a fake scenario mm-hmm. and execute that scenario by means of face-to-face attack. Well, the whole the whole gist of social engineering is that it's not a brute force attack. There's no forced entry. I'm trying to schmooze you, in essence, and manipulate you into giving me access to secured areas. Right. And trick you into believing that I am who I'm telling you I am. Mm-hmm. So one specific example might be, uh, without naming specific company names, maybe a telecom vendor, uh, XYZ Telecom. Uh, I want to 
get access to the server room or I want to get access to the telecom closet because that's where, again, this will lead me down the path to a potential cyber attack. So I can impersonate XYZ Telecom, uh, rent a white van, slap a magnetic logo on the side of that van. I can order polo shirts, hats, mm-hmm. make fake business cards, everything that makes me look legitimate, like right. I have every intent to be there. So I show up at um, at the company. Maybe it's a bank. Uh, banks are always a good example, unfortunately. Show up at the branch, uh, go up to the teller, say, hi, I'm Kyle Konoposik with XYZ Telecom. Uh, we're here to check the last four digits of the roving telecom adapter. Well, that's a completely false and fake item. <laughs> it's completely fictional. Well, nine, but that's uh, part of it is to kind of confuse them and say, oh, sure, you know, they just you, you think you're just ignorant, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, someone that's really trying to execute that type of attack, they don't care if they're going to offend you or or how they get access to that information. Right. They're going to to expose all of your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is to overwhelm you're the target with as much information as possible. So you walk in, you're talking to them right away. You're handing them fake business cards. You're handing them uh, fake work orders. They're seeing all of this, and it's it's really information overload all mm-hmm. at once. No time to process it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now, while the, the company may have procedures in place to make sure that vendors or fake vendors aren't allowed access to these areas, Sometimes the employees will forget about it right. because they're under pressure. And nine times out of ten, Kelly, it seems that we will get access to those areas that we we are targeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get access to server closets, and every once in a while, they'll just give us free roam of a, of a bank branch. Wow. Uh, completely unsupervised, other than the surveillance system. Ah. Uh, yeah. So how do you deal with that? But that's after the fact. They don't it's care, after huh? The fact. Yeah completely after the fact. But if they're giving us access to all these areas, it's it's not that hard to unplug the surveillance system and sure. then go walk around. True. It sounds to me like, you know, we hear all of these, this information and all of these stories on the tech side of this, you know, you have to have your firewalls in place, you have to have this and you have to have that. And it's all from a technical perspective uh, and an equipment perspective. But what it really sounds like from what you're saying is that it's the human uh, fallibility, and that's what allows the the breaches on the technical side. So it, it really starts with your people. That's absolutely correct. Um, lots of surveys done over the years, but the number one threat from a social engineering perspective is the human aspect, lack of employee awareness. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, you've really hit it on the head so many companies spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on these technical defenses, but yet they completely forget about or at least provide minimal resources on the human aspect of it, Emplo- uh, employee awareness, making sure that employees are, are following through. Now, it's really important to note, at least from a, a testing perspective, you know, the idea here, and really if, even if you're not testing, just if you're the, the company president, it needs to be very explicit, transparent process and explain to the employees that the objective is not to single out individuals if they fail an internal test or even if they fail a real test. Now, depending on the type of information or types of assets your company has, maybe it is kind of an end-all, be-all if you do right, fail that. Right, right. But that's certainly a big aspect of it, employee awareness. 
taking the time to train employees, not just once a year in January with some silly webinar. It's an ongoing process throughout the year in different modes of educating them. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking about uh, what's at stake with some of these losses and what we can do to prevent those. You mentioned part of that, and that is training. So you're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. On March 19th, nourish your body and your business at the Big Breakfast, a quarterly event spotlighting the entrepreneurs featured on the cover of Thinking Bigger Business Magazine. They'll share stories from their own companies and advice that you can put to work in your business. Plus, you'll meet the staff of Thinking Bigger Business Magazine and learn how you can become involved with the only publication in Kansas City that exclusively serves growth-minded small businesses. Find out more information and register at IThinkBigger.com. That's IThinkBigger.com. A lot of people who listen to this show are small business owners and entrepreneurs, and legal representation is critical, and it's critical to have it before you need it. But if someone defames you, online or off, find a defamation lawyer as soon as possible. Not doing so could inadvertently ruin an otherwise solid claim. Kelly Warner Law caters to people like you, entrepreneurs. One of the top internet law practices in the country, the attorneys at Kelly Warner have mastered the art of online reputation maintenance. Since opening their doors, Kelly Warner has helped more than 1,000 businesses and professionals with all manner of trade libel and business defamation situations. More than just a client advocate, Kelly Warner's website is a resource for internet defamation news, tips, case studies, and statutes both domestic and international. To read up on the legalities of online defamation law, head to kellywarnerlaw.com, a boutique law firm that delivers big firm results and better for a fraction of the price. Kelly Warner works with clients across North America, Europe, Australia, Canada, and Asia. To learn more about Kelly Warner's internet, defamation, and trade libel legal practice for entrepreneurs and professionals, head on over to kellywarnerlaw.com forward slash Infographic. That's K E L L Y W A R N E R L A W dot com forward slash infographic. You can also click on the logo on the IThinkBigger.com website. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, it takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, mentor a kid who needs someone on their side, volunteer to read to children, make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. Path success or failure starts long before graduation day, and the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor, give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're talking here this morning with Kyle Konoposik. He's a manager in business and technology risk services at CBiz MHM in the Kansas City area. We've been talking today about 
social engineering and how that really plays in the human element, in other words, how that plays into the cyber breaches and the information that is compromised and stolen so often anymore we're hearing about in companies. And as I said at the beginning of the show, many times small business owners don't even think about the possibility because, one, they think, well, I'm too small. Who has me on their radar? How would anybody even find me? And second of all, even if there is some awareness, a lot of times they're focused or you're focused so much on other things in your business that it takes a back seat. Well, as Kyle was saying before we went to break, it is the human element. You can spend thousands or millions even of dollars on the technology side, but if you don't train your people, they become very vulnerable to people who are really bent on getting past your safeguards. So Kyle, you were talking about the training. In a smaller business in particular, and that's most of our listening audience today, uh, what are some of the, the kinds of training that you would recommend at a bare minimum that you should go through with your employees, and, and not just the training, but some of the practices, the safeguards you should put in place? Well, from a prevention standpoint, against social engineering attacks, the first key is to understand that you can't prevent a social engineering attack. Ah. It can't be done. Um, you can mitigate or minimize the risk as much as possible. But don't ever be so naive into thinking that you're going to completely prevent it because that's also a key aspect, self-awareness of the risks that are out there. Mm -hmm. But some of the things that you can do, certainly policies and procedures. I mean, that kind of goes without saying, uh, but when you implement those policies and procedures, you actually need to enforce them. So just Mm -hmm. having them on paper and then putting them in a file someplace and never following through on them, that's not going to do any good. Uh, But then you start talking about the actual employee awareness process and the the training process. So from a training perspective, uh, certainly the simple uh, annual webinar, that's that's kind of baseline. That's kind of Mm -hmm. checking the box, if you will, um, telling regulators and other compliance um, angles, if you will, that we've done something. But let's go the next step further. Let's think about doing a 90-day information security program plan. Well, now I've just implemented a new term on you, Kelly, information security program. So an information security program is essentially the written document that guides how we're going to address this, uh, this, this issue of not just cyber attacks, but social, uh, social engineering attacks, uh, how we handle documentation and data internally. But then within the information security program, there's a security awareness program. And then that's really where the training aspect falls. The security awareness training, uh, security awareness program is where um, the mindset and the attitude of the company is is controlled. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of the definition of, of how the security culture exists within the company. So from that, that's how the training is forged, uh, the types of training we want to consider. Now, training isn't just um, that annual process Mm -hmm. of updating employees on current threats, uh, what's happened recently. We want to talk about awareness. So training, check the box, that's done. Awareness now is where we get into maybe in February, we go through the process of setting up uh, an empty cubicle in the office. Mm -hmm. And we can call this the security cube. And the security cube is set up to have maybe half a dozen or a dozen different types of security breaches. 
And you can kind of make a game out of this process and incentivize employees to identify those weaknesses and those security breaches in this cubicle. Um, so they can be incentivized by those that get the identify the mm-hmm. most number of breaches, get a $50 gift card to Target. Right. Something to incentivize them. But So not only are they incentivized, but it's become an interactive type of training. It's not just something they're reading on paper that yes. gets handed out, and it's not just something you sit and stare at at your computer screen. You're actually actively involved in finding the breaches, which, as you say, could be kind of fun in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be fun. I mean, that's that's the whole idea behind security awareness and the information security program within a, an organization is to have it be robust, but it's to try and change the paradigm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by doing that, what we want to try and do is explain to employees or tell employees what they can do rather than what they can't do. Right. So it's it's an approach in how we communicate. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the legalities. You talk about incentivizing employees. Well, uh, in this program here, we're trying to incentivize the business owner to take this seriously. And, and many times your pocketbook is what speaks. And so... Uh, what what are the legalities surrounding this? What obligations do I have as a business owner when it comes to these things? So from a regulatory perspective, um, I think the low-hanging fruit here is HIPAA. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you're anywhere in the healthcare industry, uh, HIPAA is going to come into play in that protected health information, or PHI. Um, there's a wealth of regulatory agencies out there. Um, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the NIST, they define what sensitive, personally identifiable information is. Sensitive meaning social security numbers, bank account numbers, uh, credit card, all of that. So there are regulatory bodies out there that govern information and how it should be protected. Unfortunately, none of them really come out and say, you must do this, this meaning have a robust information security program or a robust security awareness program Mm -hmm. or even internal testing. That's kind of the unfortunate side of it, at least from our perspective, because what we see is just kind of terrifying how frequently it occurs. So it's at this point in time, it's really up to the business owner to take that, take that motivation of, of understanding what your risk acceptances and your risk tolerances towards these types of attacks. Well, quite frankly, Kelly, the odds of a social engineering attack or even a cyber attack on a small mom-and-pop business, they're probably pretty small. But that's what at least has to be evaluated. The ownership or top-level management should at least go through that process of thinking about what are my risks and being, mm-hmm. being real about it and document that. That doesn't cost anything other than a little bit of time on their part. And so that's what we also need to be cognizant cognizant of is that small business owners may not have a lot of capital to go out and and hire external parties or have lots of technical defenses. So we need to be aware of the types of things that we can do to to, um, set up our culture internally and protect ourselves that way. Yeah, and a lot of times in a small business, because you have so few people, there is a lot of trust placed on uh, employees that probably in a larger firm wouldn't have access to the information that they get access to. And so even though you're smaller, your vulner- vulnerability may be a lot higher because you 
do have so much access, you know, the employees that you do have do have so much access to just so that they can serve the customer. What are the types of penalties? Uh, for example, as a small business owner, if my uh, computers were to be breached and someone made off with my customer list and it resulted in, you know, financial problems or um, identity theft for my customers, what is my liability as a business? What kind of penalties and fines and so forth am I susceptible to for that? Well, if we want to talk about out-of-pocket damage, uh, I can give you just a couple of stats. In 2011, there was a survey done uh, on 853 companies across the globe. And these companies were of all sizes. Some of them had more than 5,000 employees, some less. Mm-hmm. So a wide variety here. Uh, the survey found that 62% of all companies surveyed had a minimum cost per incident of $10,000, per social engineering incident, wow. uh, minimum $10,000. The high yeah. end ranged up to $100,000 plus. Now, Another aspect of the survey tested the frequency. Those same 853 companies, 68% of those companies had minimum five breaches over a two-year period. Wow. Some of them had up to 24 or more. But if you go on the, on the small end of the scale and just do the math, five over a two-year period times $10,000 each. Mm-hmm. So we're talking you're spending a minimum of, of $50,000 and possibly upwards of two and a half million just in cost Mm -hmm. of trying to deal with these issues. Yeah. But even uh, on the small side, the the low end, that's plenty to put a lot of small businesses out of business. Absolutely. But the other thing that's not being considered or at least uh, quantified is the reputation risk. Right. What kind of reputation damage has been done? Now, Target and Home Depot, they can probably survive that. But if you're smaller and depending on the type of information that was lost, Mm It could be game over right there and exactly. forget about the cost. True, true. Yeah, if you don't have your customers anymore, that's as good as being done. Kyle, if somebody were interested in talking with you some more about a particular uh, instance or question, uh, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, they can find me at uh, at CBiz. My phone number is 913-234-1020. A little side note to that is we're moving back to the plaza uh, here in just a couple of months, hopefully. So that number will probably change, but it'll be good for a while. Or they can contact me via email at K-K-O-N-O-P-A-S-E-K, first initial, last name, at cbiz.com. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And obviously, the website cbiz.com is another place that they can probably uh, pull your information from. Thank you so much for being on our show today. A lot of great insights on something that, like I said, a lot of people just don't even have the time to think about, but should be. Thanks, Kelly. Really appreciate it. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at ithinkbigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.